Hi, this is Pastor Jim. Thanks for joining us for this week's message from Riverside Church. I believe you will be inspired and blessed by the Word of God. We'd love to welcome you to one of our services next time you're in the Brisbane area. If you'd like to know more about us, go online at www.riversidecc.org.au or like us on Facebook to hear about up-and-coming events. I hope you enjoy the message. God bless you. We are still in the book of John. As you know, as a church, we're going through the book of John. We are in chapter 12. So if you'd like to open your Bibles to John chapter 12. Last week, Jim um, took us through from verse, Pastor Jim took us through from verses 1 to 11 about the woman who anointed Jesus with nard, the very expensive um, ointment, and the issues that happened around that. So now we're going to go from verse 12 to verse 19. Thank you, Jackie. The next day, the news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem swept through the city. A large crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches and went down the road to meet him. They shouted, praise God, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hail to the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and rode on it, fulfilling the prophecy that said, don't be afraid, people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming, riding on a donkey's colt. His disciples didn't understand at the time that this was a fulfillment of prophecy. But after Jesus entered into his glory, they remembered what had happened and realized that these things had been written about him. Many in the crowd had seen Jesus call Lazarus from the tomb, raising him from the dead, and they were telling others about it. That was the reason so many went out to meet him, because they had heard about this miraculous sign. Then the Pharisees said to each other, there's nothing we can do. Look, Everyone has gone after him. Thank you, Jackie. So this morning we're looking at what is known as the triumphal entry of Jesus as he's coming into Jerusalem. There's a movie that came out in 2008 called Vantage Point. Did anyone see the movie Vantage Point? Yeah. It's, a, it's just a movie where this incident happens... And the movie shows the vantage point of all the different people. It's a bomb going off in a situation. And the the vantage point of different people that are watching this happen. And as you go through the movie, you see one after another, different people's vantage points on what happens. And as you see it, you discover that what you thought was happening wasn't exactly what was happening because you could only see it from your vantage point. You could only see it from the one point that you were watching. It would show another person's vantage point and you would understand something different when you saw that vantage point. Then when you saw the next one, you would understand something different. But by the time you get to the end of the movie, you understand the whole story. But you realise that just one vantage point didn't tell the whole story. You couldn't understand it from just one place. And in this situation in the Bible, John 12, sorry, that's tinkling too much. In John 12, we see Jesus coming into Jerusalem on a donkey. And there are a number of different people who would be looking at it in different ways. There's a bunch of different vantage points on this situation. So we're going to have a look at those today. But before we look at the different vantage points, let's get a quick overview. This is feast time. This is Passover. This is in the week that Jesus is going to the cross. So there's a lot of people in town because it's a Passover. The streets are very, very crowded. Jesus comes riding in on a donkey and the people begin to wave palm branches. 
they have seen Lazarus come back from dead um, because Jesus brought him back from dead. So there's a peaked interest. There was a certain amount of interest in Jesus. But after they had seen this miracle, the interest in Jesus has peaked and people are waving palm branches at him because of what he has done and they are welcoming him. And in this moment, prophecy is being fulfilled. Zechariah 9 verse 9 says this, Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous. He is victorious. Yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. 500 years before this moment happened, it had already been prophesied. 500 years before Jesus walked the earth, this scripture was written by Zechariah the prophet. And as I said, this is the week of Jesus' crucifixion. So all the events of this week are being told in great detail by John in his gospel. As you know, as we've been going through, he raised Lazarus. Then last week, Jim was showing us how the woman anointed Jesus. And now we've come to the triumphal entry. The other three Gospels, Matthew, Mark and Luke, tend to give like a more overview look of Jesus' life. But John devotes nearly half of his Gospel to the last week of Jesus' life. Because in the last week of Jesus' life, of course, Jesus came to go to the cross to die for us. And John really wants to emphasise Jesus came to fulfil a particular purpose. And, and what happens in the last week of Jesus' life fulfills prophecy as it goes. And so John has devoted nearly half of his gospel to this. And at this point, every moment is very significant. Everything that's happened is significant because it's fulfilling prophecy. And Jesus is going to the cross. Jesus is about to fulfill his ultimate purpose for which he came to the earth. So what do we see from each of these groups' vantage point? Firstly, we have the Romans. The Romans are the oppressors over the people. The Romans are the ones that are ruling them. What is their vantage point? Jesus coming into Jerusalem, even if a lot of Jews are hailing him, even if a lot of the Jewish people are following him and they're waving their palm branches and everything, it wouldn't have meant much. To the Romans at this point, it would have been a bit like, what's the big deal? Jesus is coming in, they are waving their palm branches. But when a Roman general came back from a battle or when a Roman king came into town, they came on a horse or they came on a chariot attached to a horse. When Roman generals came back from battle where they had been victorious, they would give a huge triumphal parade and people would wave their palm branches. But he, the king would be on a chariot and he would probably have the head of the person of, that he has vanquished held out in front of him so people could see these are the people we have defeated, these are the people that we have overcome and there would be this great parade. But Jesus just came in on a donkey. So to the Romans, it would have been a bit like this Jew on a donkey, who cares? What's the big deal? What about the Jewish leaders and Pharisees' vantage point? Because the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders were also there. They would have been seeing the triumphal parade happening for Jesus. We saw in the last chapter where... Um, Many people had seen Lazarus being raised. And the Bible actually says many Jews believed in Jesus. 
many Jews began to believe and began to follow Jesus. Not a few Jews, not just some Jews. It says many Jews began to follow Jesus. See, the response of the Pharisees, the religious leaders generally to Jesus, had been um, an attempt at crowd control. You know, we need to stop people fussing over him so much. And it had been an attempt to discredit Jesus. They would come and they would argue with Jesus. Jesus would be teaching. And they'd come and they would try to trick him. They would say things uh, to trick Jesus and to try and argue to make Jesus look bad. That was their general response to Jesus. If someone was healed or set free by Jesus, they would go to that person and they would question them and they would try to find things that they could accuse Jesus with. But now they are starting to get particularly worried about Jesus' growing influence. Jesus is becoming an influencer and they didn't like that. They didn't like that so many people were beginning to hail Jesus as king. He's coming in on a donkey and people are waving palm branches, the symbols of victory, the symbols of a victorious king. They don't like this because suddenly Jesus is becoming very influential and the people they have power over are not looking at them. The people they have power over are looking at Jesus and this is becoming very awkward for them. Remember when Lazarus was raised, they said, what will we do? He does miracles. People believe we are going to lose our place and our power. And now when um, Jesus is uh, bringing the triumphal entry, they say everybody has gone after him. Everybody's going after him. So from their vantage point, too many people follow Jesus. We need him to go away. We need Jesus to go away. What about the vantage point of the crowds, the crowd's vantage point? They are ready to throw off their oppressors. They are ready for a military might to subdue their enemy. They are ready for a king. They are ready for their own king. They want their own king. They need a king to come and deal with the Romans and tear down the power of the Romans. They welcome Jesus with symbols of victory At that time, when someone won great prizes, if someone won a race or they won some sort of big prize, they would be called a man of many palms because palms were about victory. So the crowds are doing their palms to Jesus. Now, Jesus, he's a winner and he's going to be a winner for us. The crowds are excited because Jesus is a Jew and they're like, we're finally going to have a military might in this place. Someone's finally going to deal with the Roman oppression. So from their vantage point, Jesus was a king who was going to sort everything out for them. The disciples were also there. The disciples also had a vantage point. Verse 16 tells us that the disciples didn't understand that prophecy was being fulfilled right in front of them. They were Jesus' disciples. They had gone around with him they had seen him minister they had over three years gained more and more understanding of who he was but the prophecy is happening right in front of them but they don't realize they don't understand what is happening it says they couldn't understand at first but then later after the resurrection they realized that a prophecy had been fulfilled there it took good friday easter sunday and pentecost 
for the followers of Jesus to truly understand who he was and for a church of committed followers to be born. That was the disciples' vantage point. They weren't really sure what was going on. They loved Jesus. They followed Jesus. They want to be with Jesus, but they're not really sure what's happening here. They're not sure what's actually going on. And then the church after Pentecost, the church of Jesus was born. The church that the, the gates of hell will never prevail. That church, us, that church was born. So we've seen four different vantage points on Jesus entering Jerusalem. Our vantage point informs our perspective. The way we see things informs our perspective on things. It informs how we think about it. It informs how we will react. It informs how we will act. When we have a vantage point, when we have a certain way of looking at things, that informs our perspective about it. And so what happens is, if we will only look at one vantage point, if we only look in one way at something, if we refuse to change a vantage point, or if we just, whatever, we can't be bothered changing our vantage point, we will gain a certain perspective on something. And perhaps that perspective isn't right. Sometimes we need to have a willingness to take a different vantage point, a different way of looking at something, so that we can see things a little bit differently. Because the way we perceive things can skew or stunt our understanding. The way we see things can skew or stunt our understanding. Now, three of these perspectives, we've seen four perspectives, four vantage points, watching the triumphal parade. Three of them have a problem. Three of those vantage points bring a problem to understanding. So what are the different problems? What are the problems with these different vantage points in this story? The Romans' vantage point, the Romans' perspective was Jesus is insignificant, he just doesn't matter. He just doesn't matter. The Jew on a donkey, please, he doesn't matter. We are the greatest military force on the planet. What is this guy going to do to us? Even if some of the Jews are waving and saying he's the king because they're waving palm branches, he's victorious, he's going to sort our lives out, he's going to make everything better for us, he's going to fix everything for us. The Romans are like, please, they are the greatest military power on the earth. What is this one man on a donkey going to do to us? In their minds, no matter what he has done, no matter what people say he will do, he cannot threaten them. He is no threat to them. And so they brush him off. But here's the problem with that vantage point. Here's the problem with that perspective. Later, within that week, at the cross, as the earth shook, as darkness fell on the land from noon until three in the afternoon, as the temple curtain was torn in two, the Roman officer overseeing the execution of Jesus said, surely this was the Son of God. Surely this was the Son of God. See, the problem with their perspective was that all that mattered was human might, human ability, human power, and they had the most of that in the world. And because they took that attitude, they missed God. 
God was with them. God was amongst them. God was in front of them. And they missed God. They said he's insignificant. They thought nothing about him and they thought he was nothing. And they missed God. See, you might say, Jesus is insignificant to me. I don't need him. You might say, I don't need Jesus. But we can be so caught up in our own perspective, in one vantage point, the way we determine to look at things, we can actually miss God right in front of us. We can miss God amongst us. We can miss God near us. There's the vantage point of the Jewish leaders and the Pharisees. What's the problem with that? Their attitude was too many people believe in Jesus. This should not be allowed. We can't allow so many people to follow him because this is an issue for us because they had the position, they had the power. They did not want Jesus to become influential. Now, the word Messiah in Hebrew means to anoint and in Greek it means anointed. So Jesus was the Messiah. Jesus was the anointed one. He was their Messiah as much as he was everyone else's. All the Jewish people are waiting for their promised Messiah. And Jesus, well, we know he was the Messiah. So the people are, are waving palm branches and they're thinking, is this our Messiah? This is our victorious king. The Pharisees are waiting for a Messiah just as much as they are. He is their Messiah as much as he is everyone else's. But they just don't want it to be Jesus because that affects their world. They just don't want their answer to be Jesus because that, that messes with the world that they're living in right now. That would change things for them. So Jesus has to be discredited. Jesus has to be discredited so he doesn't affect my life. Jesus has to be discredited because it's inconvenient for me to believe that Jesus is who he says he is. It's interesting, even when they saw all the signs, Lazarus has been raised. They're like, what are we going to do now? People are following Jesus instead of recognising the sign that the Messiah was with them. Interesting, even when they saw the signs that this was the Messiah, they refused to believe. The arrogance and danger of refusing truth because it doesn't suit us. The arrogance and the danger refusing truth because it's a little inconvenient. When I was in grade four, which would make me nine, ten, something like that, um, I had a teacher, and I can't remember how we got into this discussion. It, it was a, a gentleman. But one day after class, I can just remember it so clearly, we were standing at the bag racks outside the class. He was alone. I think maybe what had happened is he had said something in class about a higher power. So, of course, my little ears would have gone, ooh, radio. So, after, after the, that class, um, we were standing at the bag racks. And I asked him, does he believe in God? I said, do you believe in God? Are you a Christian like me? And he goes, no, no, I don't. And I, I said to him, I thought you might believe in God. And he said, I know there's a higher power. I know there's something out there. This can't all just have happened without something making it happen. I know there's something higher. I know there's something greater. And I said, yeah, God. And he said, no, no, it's not God. It's not God. And I said, well, but if there's a high power, 
why would you say it's not God? I mean, I'm a kid and I'm trying, you know, you don't sash your teachers when you're nine or ten years old. And, and so I was just kind of, I, I, I can remember thinking, what's he talking about? He said, I know there's something. But he said, it's not God. It's not God, you're wrong. It's not God. Refusing truth because it's not suitable to us. He's happy to believe there's something created all this. He's happy to believe there's something that's working in all through all this. It's not God. can't be God because then he would have to make some change. Once you know there's a God, you have to do something about it, don't you? So what's the problem with the crowd's perspective? What's the issue with the crowd? At last, someone to fix my troubles, someone to give me the life I want, someone to deal with the things that are not good for me. We are oppressed here. We're dealing with a power that is greater than us, oppressing us. What is wrong? What is the problem with me wanting Jesus to be the one that fixes everything for me? Isn't that what Jesus is for? Isn't that what Jesus is for? Isn't he here? Isn't his purpose to fix my life? Isn't his purpose to take away everything that bothers my life? But they failed to answer two questions, very important questions. Why palm branches and what's with the donkey? Why palm branches and what's with the donkey? See, palm branches were tokens of rejoicing and welcoming a king in victory. But palms don't just speak of royalty. Palms also speak of righteousness. Palms speak of righteousness Psalm 92.12 says this, The righteous will flourish like palm trees and grow like the cedars of Lebanon. Jesus is the king that would bring righteousness. He wasn't the king bringing military rule. He wasn't the king coming just to take every oppression, every issue, every problem off their lives. He was the king that was coming to bring righteousness. He is righteous and in him we become righteous. We are made righteous because he is righteous. And then he rode in on a donkey. He rode in on a donkey. But when kings rode into town and a big fuss would be made by all the people over them, especially victorious kings, but the warlord kings rode in on chariots. Jesus rode in on a donkey. And in fact, a donkey's colt. So a baby donkey, not even a grown-up donkey. It couldn't have been more humble. It could not have been more unkingly than Jesus riding in on a baby donkey. Couldn't he have at least tried to look like a king for them so they would know absolutely he's come to deal with every burden in my life. Jesus enters Jerusalem not as a military warlord but as the prince of peace. Jesus enters as the prince of peace. Zechariah 9 says, here comes your victorious king. Rejoice, rejoice Jerusalem. Here comes your victorious king. Yet he is humble and he's riding on a donkey. See, Jesus came to be the spiritual king of a spiritual kingdom that within a week he would establish on the cross. He would establish his kingdom on the cross within a few days from this moment so the perspective of the crowd the problem with that is they don't understand who Jesus is they don't understand the purpose of Jesus so Daniel hey Daniel it reminds me 
of Psalm 20, verse 7. It says, some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we will trust in the name of the Lord. See, the people, the crowd, were still looking for the chariot king. They were still looking for someone like Ben-Hur, who was going to come and tear down their enemy. The problem with their perspective was, Jesus is here just for me. Jesus is here just to solve my problems. Jesus is here to make my life better. But in fact, Jesus came to save them from death and destruction. Yes, he came to set people free from sin and death and their true enemy. But he didn't do what they wanted him to do. They didn't, he didn't do what they expected him to do. And soon they were calling for him to be killed. I can accept Jesus if he does what I want him to do. I can accept Jesus as long as he fulfills every one of my expectations. But he didn't do what they expected. They were fooled by their own expectation. They were fooled into calling for the death of their Messiah by their own expectations. See, the crowd will always follow Jesus as long as he does what they want him to do. That's the problem with the perspective of a crowd. They'll follow Jesus as long as he does what they want him to do. So in closing this morning, I want to ask you, where are you? What's your perspective? What is your vantage point about Jesus? Do you need to adjust how you look at Jesus and get yourself a new perspective? Where are you in this picture? Are you with the Romans? Is Jesus so insignificant to you that you're in danger of missing him altogether? Jesus is here for you. Jesus is near you. Are you in danger of missing him altogether? Are you with the Jewish leaders? Do you say there's already too many people following Jesus? You might be watching us online this morning and you go, I'm not interested in this Christian thing. There's already enough people. I think we should actually try and discredit it. There are people who want to discredit Christianity. There are people who want to discredit the Bible. There are people who want to discredit Jesus. There are people who want to discredit us. Why? Because it doesn't fit with what they want in their lives right now. And they don't like that so many people follow him and believe in him. But the Bible says the church of Jesus Christ, the gates of hell will not prevail. Amen? Are you with the Jewish... Oh, no, sorry, I've said that one. Are you with the crowd? Are you with the crowd? Yay, Jesus, he's my guy. I follow him. He's the winner because he makes me a winner. Are you with Jesus as long as he does everything you need him to do for you? But if he doesn't do exactly what you need, is there an issue with following Jesus? Do you follow Jesus because it, it fulfills your expectations? Because you're, you can be in danger of being fooled by our own expectations. See, what I love about the disciples was they couldn't understand what was going on. But after the resurrection, they realised the prophecy had just been fulfilled. And they realised that what was happening in the triumphal entry was the fulfilling of prophecy. And when we recognise that there's a fulfilling of prophecy, we recognise that God has that overall plan and the plan goes on all the time. 
500 years before this moment, it was prophesied. And it says that later the disciples realised this was prophesied. And that tells them, even if I can't quite understand it, I can't understand everything Jesus does. I would imagine you can sit there and you can say, I don't understand everything Jesus does. I don't understand everything that goes on in my life. God, I thought this would go this way. God, I thought this would turn out like this, but it's actually turned out like this. We can't always understand everything Jesus does. But the disciples saw that there was a fulfillment of prophecy. So they saw that God had a plan and the plan continues forward. And guess what? It wasn't just to make my life easy. God's plan isn't just to make my life more comfortable. God's plan isn't always to solve every one of my problems. God's plan isn't always that something won't hurt me, something won't offend me, or we're all offended at, at the moment about everything. God's plan isn't always to just fix that stuff. God's plan is to fulfill what he says he's going to fulfill in your life, in my life, and on the earth, and things that he has already decided ahead of time. Ephesians 2.10 says that, um, that you are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. So before you were born, he prepared a plan and a purpose for your life. So right now, maybe your life doesn't look like you thought it would look, but that doesn't change that Jesus made a plan and a purpose for your life. And his plan and purpose continues, no matter what your life looks like. You haven't become disqualified. No matter what's happening in your world right now, you're not disqualified. Would you stand with me, please? This morning, maybe you're someone who has been a bit dismissive of Jesus. Maybe you don't, you don't know Jesus. If you're online, maybe you've never asked Jesus to be your saviour. I'm going to invite you now to ask him to be your saviour. He is near you. He is for you. You know, maybe you've been like um, the Jewish leaders where you're like, I'm tired of hearing about Jesus. Maybe you're like the crowd. I'm trying to follow Jesus, but he's not doing everything I want. I've heard people say that. I just didn't do what I thought he would do. How can I follow him? Jesus didn't come to do everything we thought he would do. Jesus came to save us from sin and from death, to give us eternal life. And we are his co-laborers on the earth, fulfilling what God has planned on the earth. And I want to say to you, before you were born, God knit you together in your mother's womb and made a plan and a purpose just for you. Exactly you. And you may not feel that right now. Don't go by your feelings. Go by what God says. Amen. So I'm going to pray this morning. And you may be one of those people that's feeling overwhelmed. Something's happened or is happening and it's too much at the moment. I'm going to pray for you this morning. We're going to declare Psalm 27 over you in Jesus' name. Maybe you're someone that's feeling far from Jesus. You're not walking in his ways, whatever. I want to invite you as I pray to raise your hand to the Lord and to begin to pray your own prayer. This is a place of faith. This is a group of people who have faith. And Jesus is present because we are gathered in his name. Amen. So Jesus is here. 
The Holy Spirit is here. We have welcomed the Holy Spirit into the house today and he is here. So as I pray, if you want to raise your hands to the Lord, begin to pray your prayer to God because he is here to touch your life. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for today. I thank you that you are here. Lord, so many hands raised to you, Lord, not because of me, but because of your Holy Spirit. And I thank you, Jesus, that you are present. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are doing a work in the lives of people. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are here with us. And Lord, I pray of every person that is overwhelmed right now. And I declare that we will remain confident that we will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. Whatever's happened, we declare the goodness of God. We declare confidence in God. We declare that we will wait for you, Lord. We will wait for you. We will take heart. We will not allow ourselves to be discouraged, but we will wait for you because you will bring your goodness into our lives. I declare it now in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray if anybody is, is reaching out to you for the first time, Lord, that you would just come and fill them with your presence right now. Fill them with your presence, Lord. Let them know, Lord, that you are there. Lord Jesus, touch lives this morning in the name of Jesus. Lord, so many things I don't know, but you know all things. So we welcome you, Holy Spirit, to do your work. Lord, I pray for people who have um, maybe come a bit cold, maybe because things didn't go the way they wanted, maybe hearts are aching. Lord, I, 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 I speak wholeness. Lord, I pray healing in the name of Jesus. Lord, maybe some circumstances haven't been what was expected and it's hard. Lord, I pray your power and your blessing in the name of Jesus. Most of all, Lord, I pray that every one of us We'll start to just think in your terms. We'll take a vantage point of what has God planned for my life? What does God want to do with my life? To take our eyes off the things of the earth and to put our eyes onto the things of God. To take our eyes off the things that bother us. It's like the little mozzies bothering around us. And the Lord says, stop looking at that. Stop looking at those little things and begin to look to me. Begin to declare my goodness in your life. Begin to understand that I have a purpose. I have a plan and I will fulfill that plan. I will fulfill that purpose. But seek me. Look, bring your eyes to me and don't keep your eyes down. Lift your eyes. Lift your eyes to Jesus. Lord, I declare your goodness over every person. I speak a blessing over every person here this morning. Those watching online, I speak a blessing in the name of Jesus. Even if you don't understand, it doesn't matter. The Holy Spirit is powerful and will touch your life. And I thank you, God. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening today. I hope you subscribe to the podcast so you can be inspired weekly. God bless and have a great day.